Hi everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I interview Samira Farr, founder and CEO of Number Two. Number Two is a sustainable toilet paper brand made from 100% bamboo and wrapped in paper instead of all of the extra plastic that you see in typical packaging. And the timing of this conversation could not be more interesting because in the midst of a pandemic, we've seen coronavirus impact thousands of people's lives and all different types of business, namely categories like medical supplies, health and wellness, and of course, toilet paper. People are storming stores, wiping tons and tons of toilet paper clean off the shelves. So in the episode, Samira and I will discuss not only how she came to found number two, but how exactly the pandemic is impacting her business. We'll also discuss navigating these times and making sure she's supporting both her existing subscriber base and all of the new customers that are coming to her site. How she thinks coronavirus is going to impact different e-commerce categories. And of course, the number one idea that's sitting in her idea graveyard. So without further ado, I'm so excited for you guys to listen to this conversation with Samira Farr, founder and CEO of Number Two. Samira, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Samira, what a time to interview a founder during A, kind of the, the crisis at large that is coronavirus, but B, within this type of product category, toilet paper. So Samira, what is number two? And how did you come to start a toilet paper company? So number two is a toilet paper company. Just like you said, we only sell toilet paper at the moment and we only sell 100% bamboo toilet paper. When I was um, fresh out of college, I worked for a company for a little less than a year and I quit and I really wanted to just start my own company. And at the time, I was looking for industries that I felt needed a lot of improvement and were really like outdated and didn't have any brand loyalty and didn't offer the sort of audience or the market any sort of value. And I chose to be in the nail salon industry. So in 2006, I started Bella Cures, which was a nail salon chain locally in Los Angeles and grew it to about eight locations as a franchise and sold it in 2017. And after I sold it, I took about a year and a half off. And in that year, I knew I wanted to get into the product business, but I didn't know what product. And so I kept searching for different things. I was like, do I want to start a beverage company? And I looked into a new type of a beverage that I would be bringing from sort of a different cultured cuisine that doesn't exist here, but that really gut healthy and with the times. But then I decided against being in a beverage company. I didn't like the idea of having to stock something that needed refrigeration. And then I remembered that like three, four years prior, I had thought of toilet paper randomly. I'm always thinking of ideas of things that could be done differently um, or that 
don't exist. And I always wondered why toilet paper is not offered on subscription online, you know, beyond Amazon, obviously. And as soon as I dug in, I was like, oh my God, there's so many areas of improvement. It's not just about there being a fresh new brand, you know, Charmin, Quilted Northern and all these like Scott and all these big brands are so, you know, 1960s and 70s and maybe even a little bit before that. And don't really speak to sort of the millennial household or younger and beyond the the brand aspect of it i just got so informed in my research that toilet paper was made from trees and there's a lot of deforestation involved and there's a lot of additives in these toilet papers that we use and that's why they're also dusty and crumbly and i have like softeners and scents and all kinds of things in them and you know two months pass and i'm like wow i'm still really actively interested in learning more digging more doing research and development developing the actual texture of the tissue. I do want to think about this every day. I do want to figure out how to ship it, build efficiencies and things like that. And so I was like, okay, let's do this. So far, it's totally self-funded. And I launched in April last year in 2019. And it's been an amazing year so far. And for anyone listening, if you go to go2.com, This is one of the most exciting and vibrant, one, consumer product brands that I've seen in a while, but two, if you dig in, everything about the brand you can see has gone through extreme TLC. Everything from the prints and the stripes and the colors used on the toilet paper wrapping, the names of each of the toilet papers themselves. I see the leopard, the cool cat. So can you just give some high level stats? You know, you're a year old. Are you able to say a little bit about just high level milestones? You know, how much you've sold today or maybe how many trees you've prevented from being cut down? In terms of how many trees, it's like 384 trees are saved in a person's lifetime if they switch from tree fiber to an alternative fiber. Now, I don't know that the other uh, brands that are making tree-made toilet paper, they're still making it. So it would take a significant amount of people to switch over to an alternative fiber like recycled paper or bamboo in order to see that impact. So I think that What's really nice bringing back in this whole era of the coronavirus is that because there were shortages in the store, people are taking to the internet and trying to find other places to buy toilet paper. And in that search, they're becoming educated about alternative fibers, that something that they just didn't even think about before because it's low on their priority list. Like no one ever thinks to themselves, oh, should I switch my toilet paper brand today? I think something needs to trigger that for them, whether it's a decision to make their whole household eco-friendly or to get on subscription somehow and they search for subscription companies, or in this case, it's a toilet paper shortage in the U.S. and trying to find where else they could buy toilet paper and realizing, wow, toilet paper can be made from bamboo. So I think that once we gain a little bit of traction with getting people to switch, whether it's number two or another brand with a marketplace switching over to an alternative fiber is a win for all of us. We're not really, I mean, even though we're competitors with each other, I think that no matter which brand they switch to, it's a win. Absolutely. 
And I want to dive into a little bit more on how you actually came to start, you know, how you figured out where to source the bamboo materials and all of the kind of fun nitty gritty. But I think I would be remiss not to explore the effect of Corona on your business. So one of your colleagues sent over a couple stats on how Corona has affected number two month to date. And we don't have to get into the exact details, but I'd love to better understand, you know, two things. One, how has coronavirus affected number two's business from a pure kind of sales velocity perspective? And then two, how are you thinking about kind of regulating the sell-through of these products? Are you putting caps on the cart so that you can ensure customers have access to the product? I mean, would just love to hear high level how Corona is affecting your business and your thinking at this time. So we've seen March compared to April on Amazon, 5,210% increase in sales for just number two toilet paper. If you go on Amazon right now and you search for toilet paper, you can't find a single brand that's available to ship. They are all out of stock. We did so well within a week's time that Amazon reached out to us, thanking us for our contribution to Amazon's business and asking us when we were planning to restock. I think that they also want to make sure that Amazon customers have access to toilet paper. And so we're really pushing to get our production done faster. And we're hoping to be back in stock at the end of April, early May, both on our own site and Amazon. So then um, month to date, March compared to April, on number two site, we were 3,239% increase in sales, which is huge. And what we did right away was we allocated a bunch of inventory and put them aside for our existing subscription clients. I did not want our uh, existing subscribers to not be sent their regular deliveries because, you know, people hoarded toilet paper and made our inventory go out of stock. So I quickly put aside inventory for them, um, knowing that they're expecting their deliveries. And then we also put up a message on the website communicating, like, please buy responsibly. Please buy for the next month you know, instead of the next six months, like the the less you buy, the more there will be for everybody else. And then we won't run out. And, you know, I would have to say that a lot of people did buy responsibly, but the sheer number of people who were purchasing eventually made us run out of stock. And I think we went out of stock on Friday. So just a few days ago, and we're now on pre-order and anybody who was buying, you know, their household items before at Target, in store or Costco or some of the grocery chains in store, they're not like, well, I want to reduce my exposure and I want to buy as many things I can online and have it delivered to me. And I think that that has been a game changer for the brand. Just 
getting people used to the idea of having their household goods delivered to them is huge. Not a lot of people are used to that. There's only a small fraction of people, even though online shopping is so huge that actually buy like their toothpaste and their toilet paper and like their cleaning items and have it delivered to their house. So I think this time period has been huge for all the sort of grocery brands that, that sell online. Samir, I, I want to dive in a little bit further here because I think you have a really unique perspective as a founder operating during this time, but um, also a founder that is selling what I think a lot of people would dub to be an essential item. So how do you think Corona in the short term affects the different major subcategories of e-commerce so we talked about again some of those household items like toothpaste and toilet paper but are there other categories you think are are bound to be hit or either a unscathed what do you think the implications of this are for other categories that maybe aren't inside of the quote unquote essential item categories like jewelry <laughs> jewelry fashion. Yeah. yeah like what do you think fashion i mean i think i can't speak on the entire industry because i'm not in their business and i don't know how they're doing i know a lot of them are having sales i know i'm getting bombarded with emails from brands doing site-wide sales so that tells me that they've seen a large drop in sales otherwise they wouldn't be putting everything on on a discounted and for me, I'm like, oh my God, 70% off. And then I would go on the website and I'd be like, well, what season do I want to shop for? When are we going to come out of this coronavirus? Do I want to buy shorts? Do I want to buy a jacket? Like, and then I was like, I don't really want to buy anything because I don't know when we're coming out of this. I don't know if I'm going to still like it in three months. If, if this is taking three months and I buy a dress, am I going to like this dress in three months? So it makes me feel less inclined to go shopping for things that I don't need in, in this quarantine time period, right? So I think that if I feel that way, I'm sure there's hundreds of other people that feel that way too. So I can imagine that it's been tough. Now, I do know there are some jewelry companies and I have a friend in, in the sort of accessory business and there's been a lot of humor around the fact that, well, we don't need to get dressed up for work anymore because we're going to be on Zoom or other um, web services doing FaceTime chats online and the only thing we really need is makeup and a pair of earrings as women <laughs> you know and so some accessory companies are taking that angle and they're like well you don't need to get dressed up in the next few months just buy some earrings to make yourself happy and get dressed up for your zoom call or whatever i think that the non-essentials are probably taking a hit they're probably not seeing as much sales as as they would. Obviously, small businesses and the service industry are all closed and they're all taking a hit. But in thinking about that, like salons and spas and massage services and restaurants and bars, I feel that the minute we come out of this, they're going to see a huge spike in sales, probably more than they were doing before, because people are going to be like, out there shopping, eating, having fun because they've been cooped up in the house for so long. Another thing that I really want to get your take on as someone who, A, 
is doing exceptionally well during this time. B had to make the decision to sell a direct-to-consumer product on Amazon in addition to your own site. And I know there's a lot of strong opinions here. Some founders suggest that Amazon tarnishes your brand and that we'll do everything we can to sell on our own channels versus selling on the everything store. And other people think otherwise, right? This is where Mm -hmm. consumers are shopping. So Mm -hmm. why not make it easy for the consumers that want to buy your product? What was your thinking before you decided to sell through Amazon? And then kind of more broadly speaking, is is there certain products uh, and product categories that should avoid selling on Amazon versus others? I think like high-end fashion and accessory lines for women and and men, but probably mostly women should not sell on Amazon. If you're buying a designer shoe, you don't want it to be available on Amazon. But I think for household essentials, it doesn't tarnish the brand. It's more a question of, do you want to share your profits with Amazon? And Another thing is is that when Amazon customers buy, they're not your customer. They're Amazon customers. You don't own their data. So you can't be in a continuous relationship with them. You have to rely on Amazon's ability to be in a continuous relationship with them and for them to continuously want to find your brand on Amazon. Some people are brand agnostic and they just buy whatever shows up in the first line. And that's really unfortunate for smaller brands that don't always show up first. So I think with Amazon, it's a little bit of a different business. You're putting all of your goods on there and you're just sort of throwing it against the wall to see where it sticks. Um, Whereas when you're selling on your own site, you're building a relationship and it's a little bit different. For an Amazon purchase, will you trigger anything post-purchase? that asks a customer to kind of check out your brand on your site? Will you try to pull them in onto your own properties? It's not acceptable by Amazon seller standards. You can't direct traffic back to your own site. You can't provide them with your URL. Mm -hmm. It's funny. So I am also the creator of a party game and I don't know if you're familiar with what do you meme, but we have a product that we launched in collaboration with them and fuck Jerry. And oh, uh-huh. it it's, it's called incoherent. And when you look at the distribution of sales on our own channels, what do you meme.com, et cetera, versus Amazon, I mean, it is night and day. And I think the big thing we've learned by selling through Amazon is there is such an extraordinary flywheel. The second you start getting, you know, hundreds over a thousand reviews, there's just such a strong flywheel. Like with with margin, like instead of having to send people to your listing, like you said, there's so much organic discovery. And because the review system is so powerful, there's just so little education that needs to happen. People see it. They trust it almost immediately if it has those reviews and there's no friction to buy. Right. Um, is that true for for number two as well? 
It's too early to tell. We've only been on Amazon for about two months and, you know, month one was we were just getting started. Month two was toilet paper panic buying. So the data is a little bit all over the place. We also just sold out in a week. We don't really have a lot of reviews yet. So it's a little bit too early to tell what what that business is going to look like. But to answer your question, I think it's important to be on both channels. I think that there's a lot of people who have trust in Amazon and they don't want to put in their information in other sites. They just want their information to be all in one place and to be able to buy everything they need from one place. And so I want to honor that loyalty um, and trust and be a part of that marketplace. I don't want to try to go around it and avoid it. I think there are two different types of customers and we want to be available to both. Mm -hmm. So let's pivot slightly to the brand because I think one of the things that you have navigated exceptionally well is the all things brand about number two, the personality, the language used, the color schemes. I'm on the site now, right? And you have this really funny video about butt crumble. <laughs> so anyone, right, anyone that uses like crappy toilet paper knows this problem where you get those like tiny bits that shave off and you have this guy that you're rubbing your toilet paper into his facial hair. So like, what does your team look like? And talk me through this like brand creation process because this is genius. It's just genius. Thank you. So I conceptualized the brand and I worked with an agency to bring it to life visually. I, by no means am I a special, do I have a specialty in graphic design or illustration or video production? So I worked with a great team to bring it to life and you know, it consisted of a photographer, a videographer, a graphic designer, two different artists that were the founders of the company. And, and we really sat down and gave a voice to it before we actually pinpointed every single aspect of it. And the style element of it was important to me because I like to bring mundane things to life. And so I really wanted to bring you know life to it in a way to make it not a chore but to make it a more of an experience and so similar to toilet paper i'm like well if we're going to make it eco-friendly you know let's also make it fashion <laughs> because sometimes the eco-friendly alternative to a product is like a little bit less than it's not as great and it's not as pretty and I didn't want to fall into that category. I wanted it to be a little bit more upscale and designer, but also eco-friendly. And so like, well, if we're going to wrap it in paper so that we can avoid plastic packaging, let's make the paper fun. Let's make it fun enough so people can actually reuse it for something. And we have people who use it to wrap small gifts or to make things out of them. And then they take pictures and post it on their social media channels. So I think it's been really fun in that regard. And I also personally am like total clean, uh, neat freak. And when I put my toilet paper out, I always wonder about all the stuff that sits on it, like the dust and, you know, the particles, like the extra toilet paper that you put out next to your toilet. And I've talked to a few friends and they're like, oh yeah, me too. And I roll the first layer off and throw it in the trash because I, I assume that it's dirty. And I'm like, well, that's so interesting because if it's wrapped and you're putting it out and it has like a design, then it's also 
adding something to your bathroom, but it's also keeping your role very clean. So I like that it's stylish, but it's also bringing sort of functional value to something that was just overlooked before. I mean, it's it's crazy because to the outside casual viewer, if I were to stumble across this brand for the first time, I would think to myself, oh, definitely raised, you know, millions in equity. What you've done with this, considering that you've bootstrapped it yourself and with, you know, you, what did you say, two two co-founders? Just no, you. It's just me. I mean, th- this is incredible. Yeah, it's just I'm the only fa- I'm the I'm the only founder. Yeah, but I do have a whole bunch of people on my team, whether it's freelance or whatnot, that have brought it to life with me. Okay, so Samira, before we part ways, I I want to talk through two last questions. Uh, one of which is a question that I I love asking founders uh, across different categories because I typically hear the same answer, but I'm curious what yours is. Who has had the greatest impact on your learning and why? As cliche as this may sound, I have to say Uh it's been my mother. The reason is, is because she's always pushed me to be curious about where I can continue to grow and how I can strengthen my skills. And in that pushing, she's taught me how to be resourceful. She's taught me how to ask the right questions and to never take anything at face value, but to keep digging. And that has created so much learning for me over over the course of my adult life. I Sometimes it's easy to like hit a wall and be like, well, I guess it's a wall. But she's like, no, there needs to be a way around the wall, you know, <laughs> carve out a circle, push yourself through. There's always a way with her. And that has been a driving force in my energy, my personality to keep on. I love it. I, I will tell you that when I was preempting the question, parents are by far the most common answer. It makes sense. It makes sense. sense. The last question is also one of my favorites. And you talked about it briefly when you were talking about the origin story of number two. And you're like me and I think a lot of founders where you have these idealists and you're constantly generating new ideas. And most of them just sit in what I like to call the idea graveyard, right? Just kind of rotting away. Yeah. And there's sometimes a lucky one or two that just will not stop pestering top of mind. So to the extent that you feel comfortable, what are some of the more kind of wacky ideas that for a moment in time you said, huh, I could spend the next you know, five, seven years working on this and then in hindsight or days later, you said, ah, oh, no freaking way. Are there any that have rest in peace in your idea graveyard or any kind of kind of random startups that you want to start up ideas that you want to share with our listeners? 
Yeah. I've had this one idea for more than a decade and it's not that I don't want to do it. It's that I don't know how to do it. (laughs) I don't think that I'm the right person to bring it to life, but, and who knows, maybe it exists in some fashion out there and I haven't actually found the product, but I've always thought to myself, it would be extremely useful for future generations to build a toy for children that strengthens their ability to feel their feelings in real time, to not avoid their feelings. I think a lot of our sort of mental health issues come from our relationship to our feelings and we're not really taught how to feel them. We're taught to like look for patterns. And, you know, if you think about the toys and the TV, the TV little shows that are out there that are educational, we're looking for patterns where we're building our language skills, we're building our math skills, but you know, what about the, what about our emotions? You know, what about when you have a scary feeling and you don't know what to do with it? Like what you end up doing as a child is you just pick up whatever your parents are doing with their feelings. So if they're like, oh my God, I'm nervous. Let me just eat a bag of chips. You might be that way too when you get older, right? And so I think it would be really cool to have a toy that, that, allows kids to learn how to feel their feelings and then have a healthy relationship with themselves so they don't have to get addicted to weird things or use distractions and you know as a result they could be better communicators they could be more authentic they could be okay with vulnerability i just don't know how to make that product so maybe someone listening to this will be like oh i do and then wants to partner with me I don't know, <laughs> but that's something that's it's kind of interesting. That's been something, I don't know if that even fully makes sense to you or whoever's listening, but it's something that's been on my mind for forever, for more than 10 years. It does. I mean, it's almost like I can imagine even like a physical doll that's self-probing, right? Maybe every limb is assigned a certain emotion. And if you're feeling a certain way, you click on it and it will ask you a question and it helps you. I don't know. I, I'm kind of brainstorming out loud, but yeah. at high level, it's super interesting. Yeah. Um, all right, guys, you hear it. You heard it here first. If this is you, yeah. Samira yeah. at go2.com. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Samira, before we part ways, I always like to roll the red carpet for our guests. Are there any final call to actions, hiring needs, anything you want to leave with our listeners? The floor is yours. Ah, thank you. Well, if you're someone who's, you know, thinking of starting a business and you're listening to the story for inspiration, I would say there is no, how do I do this? You just do it and learn along the way. You just have to have the faith in yourself that you have the ability to learn along the way and deal with whatever obstacles come your way. So just go for it. No idea is, you know, they think there's a customer for every single idea. And if you're a number two future customer, get on that site and pre-order today 
because we're probably going to sell out on our pre-orders in the next few weeks as well. I don't know yet how we're going to handle that in mid-April. We're trying to build out a model to project traffic and make sure we have enough toilet paper for all of our customers. So I would say get if you're in the market for a new toilet paper brand, buy right away so that you could be part of the people who get it in our first um, stock that's coming soon. And I hope you try us out. Samira, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'll have to do this hopefully after this panic boils down, maybe in a year. Yes. And the other message is please stay home, stay healthy, stay safe, and let's all get through this together. You're here to hear, folks. Samira, thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing and writing us a review. Also, if you have any recommendations about a founder or a company that you'd like to see on the show, let us know. Message us on social at In Good Hands. Also, special shout out to Dan Mahoney, who produced this week's episode, and Eddie Knuckles, our music director. I'm your host, Peter Levin. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Peter A. Levin. And that's it. Looking forward to bringing you another new episode next Tuesday.